The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So I did not grow up in a very outdoorsy kind of home. We didn't really go camping or fishing or that kind of stuff, but I did have some friends that would do that, and every now and then I'd get brought along. So I had a good friend of mine named Charlie, and uh, his dad grew up down in the Keys and would go fishing all the time, and Charlie would take me and, and some of my buddies, and we would all go down. Um, sometimes his dad would take us fishing. And so I remember um, we went down there. It was a lobster season, and I had you know, no idea what all that entailed, but they were going to bring uh, us down there. And, and so we get down there. We get on his dad's boat. It's not a big boat. It fits you know, like the five or six of us that are on there, just a small fishing boat. And um, we, we start going out, and then he stops and says, okay, here's the plan. Um, they're down on the floor. Obviously, we can't see, but there's little corals and, and there's stuff where, where lobsters hide underneath. And so we got to figure out where they're at. So here's what I want um, you to do. Roby, I want you to jump in the water. I'm going to um, give you a tow rope. You're going to have a mask and snorkel. You're going to grab onto the rope, and I'm going to pull you behind the boat. And when you either see lobster or rocks on the bottom, you think lobsters are under, you just let go, and we'll come back and get you. Naturally, I thought that was a great idea. So I jumped in the water, I get to the tow rope, it takes off, and I'm being pulled behind, and I realized, I am bait. <laughs> like, this is what you do with fishing poles. You put, like, little fish on these hooks, and you, tr- you troll them behind boats. And I'm like, what is behind me right now? And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting there just imagining that I'm, I'm going to get eaten by a shark, and I was terrified, but that was not the most terrifying thing I would experience that day. Just to alleviate any concerns, I did not get eaten by a shark, okay? I just don't want you to be concerned. But eventually, we, we found some, uh, some lobster, and we, we, you know, we kind of had a slow day, and the day was wearing on. It was early afternoon, so we're kind of done. And um, so we kind of all got back in the boat, and we decided, he decided um, that he was just going to take us out towards the open ocean. So I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but who am I? I'm a teenager. I don't know. And so he just takes off, and we're going, and like slowly, like the shore is like disappearing, okay? And then, you know, there's these big freighters that go by, and you feel like a tiny ant as they're going by, and we keep going and going, and the ocean's getting darker and darker blue, okay? And there's nothing in any direction, and the waves aren't like the waves they are near the beach, like they're like big and rolling, okay? And you might as well have told me we were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, and then he stopped and he looked at us boys and he said, Okay, we're not going to go back until all of you jump into the water. And I said, <laughs> And I was the only one laughing. So I could tell he was serious. So I jumped into the water. Now, the, the feeling I had at that moment, I can still recall to you the emotions more than 20 years later. I I remember kicking and having no idea how many hundreds and hundreds of feet were below me. And I had this vision flash in my mind. It was the cover of the movie Jaws. (laughs) Remember where it's just like the giant shark coming to swallow? And I'm like, there is no telling 
what is beneath me right now. And it was just this feeling, the only way I can describe it is just this unbelievable feeling of vulnerability, smallness, and just surrounded by just this opaque, deep blue water beneath me that is just filled with dangerous uncertainty. And it was the most, most vulnerable feeling I think I've ever felt in my life. And then I looked at my buddy's dad, who had a glint in his eye, and I'm thinking, he thinks he's going to leave me here in the middle of the ocean, and if he does that, I will pass out and drown, okay? And so I was thinking about that feeling, which I'll never forget that emotion I had, that feeling of intense vulnerability, and especially almost that panicky feeling of being stranded there. And that similar feeling, at some point in your journey with following after Jesus, every believer will come to that place when it comes to the issue of prayer. Now, you might be here today and say, look, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and that's great. I'm so, this is a great place for you to be. We love journeying with people who still have questions, and that's great, and you're going to get a window into what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of you just started following Jesus, and it's just like everywhere you look, you see God showing up in your life, and it's an incredible season. Maybe you got baptized last Sunday, and it's just brand new. That's incredible. Some of you have been following Jesus for years, decades, and if that's the situation that you're in, you know that you have hit a place at some point in your prayers to God where you've said, okay, God... I'm praying for this because I don't want this to happen. I asked you for this and something worse than this happened. How does that work? At some point you've come to God and say, Lord, I, I don't know how many times I have to ask for this. Am I not asking enough times? Am I not asking passionately enough? Do I not have enough faith? Do I, is, it, am I, is it because there's this, I, I have the sin in my life? Am I not godly enough? Like, am I doing it wrong? Do I have the prayer formula wrong? Do I need to say it differently? Like, what's going on in my prayers? Why do my prayers feel broken? Or why does it feel like I'm praying? And I, I don't know that you're hearing me because I'm praying this and this is definitely not happening. And we can come to this point where we just feel stranded. It's like, God, are you here? Are you leaving me here? And all I know is that I'm surrounded by uncertainty. And I know that I've felt like that. And I, and I believe if you followed Christ for any length of time, you've had a moment like that at least. And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus speaks directly to what prayer looks like and how prayer works. And we're going to look at this for, the next, for this week and next week. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. This is the actual, the very words of Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, which is undoubtedly the greatest sermon ever preached. Preached by Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 7. Here's what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. 
and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, I want to just stop for just a second on this. We're going to dig into this part of this passage more next week, but I just want you to see what's going on here. Three commands. Jesus is commanding you and me to do three things. Ask. He's not saying, hey, well, why not ask? He's commanding us. It's in the imperative tense. He's commanding us to ask. He's commanding us to seek. And he's commanding us to knock. He's commanding us to do that in our relationship with God. Two those commands are unbelievable promises. And they're promises that we wrestle with. Because what he says is everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Now he goes on to explain how this plays out. We're going to come back to that next week. I want you to see what he says next. Verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Okay, now watch how this illustration works. This is kind of the core analogy that he's given, giving. He's saying, okay, which of you, if your son passes, asks like, hey, dad, pass the dinner rolls, will hand him a stone. Here you go, son, take a bite of this. So he breaks a tooth off of it, off on that stone. Most of us will not do that, okay? If you're tempted to do that, we should probably talk after this service, okay? Most of us would not. This is Jesus' analogy. If, the, if your child says, would you pass the fish sticks? Say, here, take a bite of this. It's a water moccasin, okay? Most likely, most of us are not going to do that. He says, okay, why, you're, you're not going to do that to your own children. Now, he's accessing an emotion that we feel. And he's not just talking about, like, when you're, like, messing with your kids, okay? He's not talking about that. Like, for example, there's a game that we... Uh, play in our household that I play with my kids, and it, it comes in many formats. It's essentially, um, I am chasing them around the house, and if I capture them, I tickle them. And sometimes I'm a monster. Sometimes I'm a dinosaur. I might be a shark. All kinds of things, but it's always the same. And here's how it plays out. As I'm chasing them, when they're starting to get to like this fever pitch of giddiness, I hide. And all of a sudden, I hear like the padding of their feet and they're laughing and all of a sudden, their feet stop running. And I hear their laughing starts to become kind of a nervous laughter. And then I, I hear my five-year-old daughter say, where's daddy? And I hear my three-year-old son say, I'm scared. <laughs> and then one of them goes, dad? Silence. And I hear them walk around a little bit they're looking around the corner, more nervous laughter, a little more running. And then right when they walk by the pantry, which is the same place I hide every single time. <laughs> right when they walk by the pantry, I let out the loudest blood-curdling shriek like a banshee and scare them into a fetal position on the floor, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? That's just good fun, all right? <laughs> That's just stress relieving for a parent, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay, he, this is what he's talking about. And if you have a child, a grandchild, you have kids that you babysit, your nieces and nephews, you have children in your life, okay? You know this dynamic. There's someone so vulnerable 
that you're responsible for. And so like that, that feeling when like they get injured. Man, when my kids get hurt, like they bump their heads and they got to go get a stitch or, or whatever it is, like you know that feeling. If you have kids in your life in any capacity, you know that feeling. It's concern and it's guilt and it's anger and, you know, it, it's hysteria. I mean, all of these things rise up inside of you. And it's just, it's like something primal that comes up instinctually because there's something protective that you're wired with inside. You tracking with me? And it's even more so like if there's something you're trying to do for your child, like there's some kind of medicine that you're supposed to apply or give your child and your child feels tortured, but you have to give that to the child. Have you ever been through that? Have you ever tried to apply eye drops to a toddler? That's one of the most emotionally torturous experiences you can go through, okay? Your child's like, hey, my, ear, my eye's bothering me a little bit. So you take them to the doctor, and then you come back, and then you have to, you're, and the doctor's like, hey, just drop this in their eyes just three times a day. Oh, is that all? <laughs> you have a tranquilizer dart I can use with this? Because that sounds terrible. You got, like, you're holding them down with, like, a leg. You're peeling their eyelids apart, okay? There's weeping. And you know that your children are basically saying, I'd rather have the eye rash than this, Okay. That, that is hard as a parent to do that. Uh, think about this. Your children go off to school. It's the first couple days of school, hypothetically. And there's someone there that makes them feel bad. And they're feeling bullied. They're in high school. They have a broken heart. They apply to a college and don't get in. They're discouraged. I mean, that thing you feel as a parent, instinctually, primally, that's what he's tapping into. He says, you would never set up a situation for them to get hurt. You couldn't bring yourself to do that. That's his analogy. Look what he says. Verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I want you to look at this because I'm, I'm kind of amused at how Jesus put this. It's kind of funny. He says, okay, you give good gifts to your kids and you're evil. Wow, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. So, shot in the arm. That's encouraging. He's saying, you know how to do that. You know how to take care of your kids and protect your kids and, and, and protect the kids in your life and your grandkids or the kids you babysit or your nieces and nephews. You know how to do that. You know the instinct that wants to do that. You know that you want to give good gifts to your children. He's like, you know that. You know that feeling when it comes to their birthday and you give that gift and you nail it and they open it. And it's that thing that they wanted and they literally gasp and their eyes are humongous and they forget about the other presents and they want to immediately start playing with it. And you know the joy that you have in actually thinking back on that moment now, you still have joy thinking about that moment. He says, you know all about that and you are all messed up and twisted. He's saying, and you have inside of you things that every one of us have inside of you. Pride, Selfishness, jealousy, envy. We have the things in us that deaden our love and our compassion and our empathy and our mercy. You know, 
none of us would say, I'm as loving as I possibly could be. I'm as selfless as I possibly could be. I have as much patience and mercy and kindness as I possibly could be, or gentleness. We know we're limited by sin. We have that inside our hearts. He says, you know that you feel like that. How much more do you think your heavenly Father, who defines the category of love, set the tone for it, is perfectly selfless, perfectly kind, perfectly gentle, perfectly compassionate, eternally patient, how much more do you think he wants to protect his children from difficult things? How much more do you think he wants to give his children good things? See, I wonder if sometimes I stop and say, okay, Lord, I I know I'm asking you for this request in, in prayer. I know I'm asking you for this, but I know that you've got to, I mean, I know you got a lot of balls in the air, okay? I know that you're keeping track of the whole world, and, and sometimes I wonder if God's like, well, look, I would love to say yes to you, but you know, that you don't understand the ripple effect. There's some person over in Singapore that if you do this, then it will affect this person, this person, and they'll change their entire life and ruin everything. I, I just got this whole network of the sovereign plan that I, I just can't mess up, so I understand your prayer, but I, I just, I can't do that. And I wonder if God sometimes has kind of got this cold, clinical, sterile, strategic sovereignty going on. And so I kind of understand that if he kind of responds to me with a little bit of coldness. But Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand. You know the, the warmth you feel towards your kids? You know the impulse you feel, the protective impulse you feel? You think you feel that for your children more than God who's perfect feels that for his children? You've got that all backwards. That impulse that says, I will stop at nothing to protect my children, that's, I, I wired you with that so you would have a little glimpse of what it's like for me as your heavenly father, what it's like for me as God. You're getting a window, a hint is what it's like. And so as we're approaching prayer, we've got to like reorient ourselves to some of these truths. Prayer is communing. It's dialoguing with, it's sharing with, it's entering into that relationship with a being unlike any other relationship we dialogue with. We're we're entering into this relationship with a being and we've got to reorient ourselves to how we approach him. There's some things that this just said Do you realize the first thing he says is, he says, your father. God says he's your father. You say, well, I've heard that before. Do you know, you got to understand this. Do you know how you are his child? It's not just that you're his creation. He's saying you're more than just the creation. You're my child. And how you went from creation to child is very dramatic. Here's what it says. Let me, let me read it to you out of the book of Ephesians. Here's how it's described. 1 verse 5, it says, He predestined us for, what's the word it says there? Adoption. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In other words, you were not his child. You are separated from holy, perfect, almighty God. All of us were by our sin when we've said, God, I'm going to just do my own thing. I know that 
you have the way you want to run the world, but I've got my way. And that sin in all of our lives separated us from God. But we've been adopted because of Jesus Christ. He loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to die and suffer on a cross and then rise again on the third day, paying for our sins so that we can be forgiven. He says, no, you were adopted. In other words, God's not stuck with you. He came and got you. It says he predestined to come and get you. From the beginning of time, he had your name in his mind according to the purposes of his will. He had your name in mind and has been arranging your life, drawing you to himself because he wanted to swoop you up, adopt you, and say, I came and got you. Now you are my child, a part of my family. That's the way I've always wanted it. You're not merely his creation. You're not some accidental child. You're not just what, what just happened and he stuck with you. He came and got you. So when you go to your father, do you understand the warmth you're getting from him? It's not just some cold calculated plan. He's like, well, let me see if this messes with my other plan. He's saying, you have to understand, you're coming to someone who would stop at nothing to care for you and protect you and do good for you. But he says something else. He says he's not just our father, he's our father in heaven. Because there's times if you have a, a child in your life or a kid in your life or they come to you, and they come to you with that situation at school, those social dynamics, and you want to say, sweetheart, I'm so sorry, I wish there was something I could do. See, they have loving parents, but they have limited parents. But not your father. He's, he is loving towards you, and he can do anything. There's nothing that limits him. That means two dramatic things. The first thing is your father knows. Listen to what Jesus said earlier in the same sermon. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know what it means that your father is a heavenly father? That means he knows. You don't have to get him caught up. Hey, God, I know we talked yesterday morning, but a lot of things have transpired since then. Let me just get you caught up on the current events. He knows. By the way, he knows better than you do. He's like, I know you saw their reaction, but I saw what was in their mind and their heart. I know what you don't know, he says. And by the way, he knows you. He knows you better than you know you. He says, I know you're coming into the warmth of a relationship where you never have to wonder, wow, do they have a, does he have a different opinion of me now? No, he knows you. Wow, did, did he misunderstand? Did I communicate that just right? He knows you. He's a father who knows because he's a heavenly father, but he's not just one who knows, he's a father who can. He can do whatever is required for you. He can do, there's no limits. There's never a time where he says, I wish I could. He has unlimited power. He has a warmth and affection for you. He knows you. He has unlimited power because he's not just your father. He's your father in heaven. And there's one more thing it says. It says, and he gives good gifts. He knows how to give good gifts. Can you put these three ideas together? When you go in prayer, you have someone who loves you, someone who knows you, 
someone who has the power to do whatever it takes in your life, and someone who's told you, I am bringing good things into your life. You say, how do I know that? Listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Did you hear what that just said? Have you ever been tempted to say, look, God, I know that you saved me for eternity. You sent Jesus to die. I really can't ask for anything else. Have you ever wondered, I know you've given me so much, Jesus. I mean, God, how could I? You ever wonder if God's like, look, what else do you want? Do you not know? I mean, is that enough? Jesus is like, you've got all that wrong. That's the type of heart he has towards you. He's saying, if I would do this for you, do you think I would hold back anything else for you? He's your father in heaven giving you good gifts even more than you could even want to give good gifts to your kids. And so you know what that means? Whatever you've asked for him, whatever you've said, God, I need this bread right now. And, and sometimes you look down in your hands and you say, well, this looks like a stone. Feels like a stone. Smells like a stone. What this is saying is the walk of following after Jesus means believing that it's bread and believing that he knows the bread you need more than you do. It's like this. There was a missionary. His name was E. Stanley Jones. And he traveled all around uh, the world preaching and he said this once about prayer. And when I first heard this, I, I, I've never forgotten it. He said it like this. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Can, can we just visualize this? I think, I wonder if sometimes the reason we feel like prayer doesn't work is because we're not understanding the dynamic of prayer. Prayer is dropping your anchor. It's when you're all alone in your small boat feeling stranded and you're dropping down, you take your anchor, you throw it all overboard and it splashes down and when it hits the ground, it hooks on the ground and you've got the rope in your hand. And what is it hooked on? The continent. When you pull it, you're getting pulled towards the anchor. What just happened? Did you pull the whole continent to your little boat? You pulled yourself to the continent. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not going before Almighty God and saying, God, this is what I need. I'm going to need you to pull over here in my direction. Prayer is saying, God is wrestling with God. God, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm struggling. Lord, this is what I'm sorting through. And then pulling yourself towards the Lord. And saying, okay, Lord, but you're the one who is 
the, my Father who loves me. You're the one who's the Almighty in heaven who knows me and knows all eventualities, all hypothetical possibilities, all the details of the circumstance. You know all about it and are not limited in your view or in your power. You're my Father, you're in heaven, and you have told me you have the impulse, the instinct, the primal urge that leads you to have to bring good things to me because you want to. Why would I want to pull him to myself if that's the case? It's like this. If you could remember it in one phrase, remember it like this. Prayer is not a vehicle to gain control. It's a vehicle for surrender. When we use prayer and we think that, well, it's, I've tried everything else to get this. So let me pray too, so I can get this. And we use prayer like that. It's no wonder sometimes we feel like it's broken because we're trying to use a screwdriver to hammer a nail. That's not what it's meant for. We say, God, I've asked you for this and this didn't happen. I got this, so it must not be working. Why do I even pray? Pray, God, if you're going to do whatever it is that you want to do anyway, then why do I even bother praying? You're just going to do your thing. God, why do I bother, why, why do I bother this? Or God, am I not doing it right? I, it says have faith. Do I need more faith? Well, actually what Jesus said is you need a faith of a mustard seed. So it can't be more faith. It's hard to have, I mean, it's just a little tiny faith. It's just uttering the, God, I don't even know if you're hearing me, but I'm saying this, that kind of little tiny faith that, that there's, it's worth it crying out to him. That kind of faith is what Jesus said. God, is it, maybe I'm not holy enough, or maybe if I just lived better, you'd hear my prayers more. I, I know, prayers of a righteous man, that, that must mean I'm not righteous enough, but your righteousness is in Jesus Christ. You can't have more righteousness than what's been bestowed upon you by Jesus Christ. So you say, God, I, I don't, then why is prayer broken? Why is it not working? Why are you not hearing me? Because prayer is not about control. Prayer is about surrender. It's throwing down your anchor and pulling yourself towards the Almighty. It's saying, man, I, I know this, this feels like a stone, smells like a stone, looks like a stone, but I'm going to follow in the footsteps of every person of faith in the scripture and every other person of faith that's walked before me and say, but I know who you are, Jesus. So this is bread. It means following in the footsteps of your Savior who did the same thing. It means this week you have permission to wrestle. This week, you need to go and take advantage of the relationship you have with your Heavenly Father. You need to enter into the safety of that relationship and be honest, because He knows you anyway. It's this week you set aside time where you're undistracted, not while you're just on the treadmill or just in the car or the kids are running around. No, it's setting the uh, alarm earlier and getting space and quiet to get before God and enjoy the privilege of communing with the Almighty and wrestling with Him. It means getting out and buying a journal or, or typing out your prayers or speaking it out loud or going for a walk or whatever it takes to get the benefit of surrender before your Lord and following in his footsteps and finding the peace that he breathes in you, the stability he breathes in you 
the community that he breathes around you when you use prayer as an act of surrender rather than an act of control. Because what did your Savior do? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the evening before he was nailed to a cross, suffered and tortured and died for the sins that he didn't commit, but for our sins. What did he do? This, this thing, this moment of sacrifice that it says was planned before the beginning of time. This moment that he said all throughout his ministry, he warned his disciples, I came here to die as a sacrifice. I'm going to die at the hands of the religious leaders. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He taught that over and over and over. And now on the eve alone, he got space alone in the garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do? He said, Jesus, or Jesus Christ, he said, God, Father, he says, please, can you just take this cup from me? I don't want to do this, he said. I don't want to walk through this. And did he just do it as just kind of like a, well, I'm supposed to do this, or I need to set an example for these disciples over here on the side. No, he said he was sweating great drops of like blood coming from his, his head. It was like agony that, that some of us can't even imagine. He's saying, God, please don't make me walk through this. And then he sees torches coming down from the temple, coming down into the valley and starting to approach the garden. And what did he say? Does he at that point say, well, there you go. God, I laid it out. Obviously, it doesn't work. I thought me, me and the Father are one. I thought you were going to hear me and you're going to swoop in and save the day. What did he say? No, he took that moment. He cried out before the Lord and then he surrendered. He said, nevertheless, your will be done. And the author and finisher of our salvation fixed his eyes on the cross because of the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and surrendered to the Father. You're not, doing, you're not walking through anything that your Savior has not walked through and is walking you through. So take your prayers and go to him and surrender. We're going to end our service a little bit differently today. We're going to just take a, a quiet moment of reflection. I'm going to invite our um, worship band out. And, and here's what's going to happen this morning. Our worship ministry has written a song for us. And I want you to just stay seated as we close with this song, as you're introduced to this. And I want you to just hear these words. And bow your, maybe you bow your head, maybe you close your eyes, maybe you just lift up your hands, maybe, you, just, maybe you, you sing along if you want to, but just hear these words and stir in you a moment of surrender. Because some of you need to sit there and hold out what's in your hand and say, God, I'm struggling to believe this is bread, but I'm gonna surrender because you're my father, you love me. You, you're not in, inhibited by anything. You have all power and you know me and I believe that you bring good into my life. So today, just surrender. Some of you, it's an opportunity for you to surrender to Jesus for the first time. You've been running from God. You're like, I'm not sure I trust God. But you want to just take that step and surrender today. So if you would, just hear this song and take this as a quiet moment before your Father to surrender.
Father, even now, in prayer, after hearing the gospel preached and hearing the word, maybe we find ourselves struggling to let go and surrender. Maybe we think in our own hearts that it's better for us to understand and to comprehend your ways than for the peace that surpasses our understanding. Lord, whatever doubt we have in our hearts this morning, as a church, we lay it down at your altar and we surrender. And in doing so, we find your strength. We find your peace. God, you're so gracious to us, even in our doubt. You're so merciful. And as a good father, you're gentle in how you deal with us. Love the scripture, Father. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously, along with him, give us all things? You are working things for your good, for your name's sake, and we get to be included in those good blessings. Father, we surrender this morning, asking you to give us strength even as we do that act. We ask these things in your son's holy and precious name. Church, we serve an awesome God who's gentle in his approach to us, and we can celebrate that. Well, you guys, we're thankful you joined us this Sunday with the kids' worship and the celebration. We hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 432 0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org